welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast, and I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. I'm a Canadian expat living in Phuket, Thailand, and Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Our intentions of this podcast is to connect with people living on the island and share their stories with you. This is episode eight with Robert and Bella Riddell. Uh, Robert and Bella, they're good friends of mine. They've been living in Thailand uh, for over 25 years. They went from selling jewelry on the streets of Japan to owning and operating their own manufacturing facility up in Bangkok. Uh, This is a very interesting story, especially because they're going to dive into um, how it was like in Southeast Asia uh, 20 years ago. And, you know, the things that have changed over time, they really have some great insight into that. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. Um, This is the Fruiting Body Podcast. Uh, Our intent of the conversation is to just uh, walk through your journey. Um, What were you guys doing before Asia? How you got here? What you're doing here now? And what your future plans are? So I will start. I think let's start with Bella. Um, talk, talk us through your journey before even meeting Robert and this love connection came together. <laughs> There's not a lot to tell, actually. Uh, just turn the mic a bit towards you. There you go. Oh, I think you can just tilt it even like that. There you go. Okay. okay. So left Romania in 94 um, for Japan, which was the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. Because of perspective and everything else. Um, and not very long after, actually, maybe half a year after I met Robert. So and you guys, you met in Japan? No, my first trip after Japan was uh, uh, Thailand. And I met Robert during my first trip. Oh, okay. He just swept you off your feet. And and yeah, six months later, we got married. So oh. you see, it's very, very <laughs> short, fast, <laughs> and furious kind of story. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and yeah. did, did, did the story hold up, Robert? Is this how you remember it? Yeah. It's just she forgot to mention we met on the way home. So it was yeah. the last chance to meet somebody. Maybe <laughs> bring, bring her a bit close. There you go. Yeah. So it was the, on the way home in the Don Muang Old Airport. Oh, okay. So it was on the flight back to Europe. And what attracted me to him was a belt buckle, um, a silver belt buckle embellished with turquoise. Does he still have that belt buckle? <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Oh, and okay. also during that night, during the flight, um, he put a bangle on my wrist with a turquoise. Mm-hmm. So he was selling a little bit jewelry in his spare time. That was my first encounters with yeah. making jewelry and sell it back in Europe. And so he, he made his mark on you, on you uh, there. Something did you like guys, that, yeah. did you join the Mile High Club that, that <laughs> evening on the flight back? <laughs> 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 we <laughs> almost. <laughs> we were pretty close, but. <laughs> Very close, yeah. Yeah, you held back. Okay. Yeah. I was too shy at that time, you know. Right. And <laughs> w- what were you guys doing in Thailand at that point in time? Just traveling, backpacking? Really backpacking, yeah. yeah. Backpacking, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so um, from from that decision, you guys go back to you've gone back to Romania. You've gone back to Austria. Um, I'm assuming maybe back in the day it was just pen pals. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Actually, <laughs> she wrote me a letter, <laughs> which she didn't understand. My okay. English was okay when I was speaking, but was definitely not okay when I was writing the letter. Um, yeah. And then two, three weeks later, I, just, These took are issues. I yeah. just took the car and drove to Romania, you know? Yeah. Okay. Picked her up. And then f- 
from yeah, there you guys time, made the plan to go to Japan? Yeah, that came quick. later, but uh, in the beginning it was not that easy because Romania was not Europe yet. So it was still communist country, not easy for her to get out. And not European Union, yeah. yeah. So I had to throw stones on the window of the embassy to even get into the Austrian embassy in uh, Romania. To be allowed to go into Romania. Yeah, because there were tons of into people the outside the embassy and you couldn't get even into the embassy. So I was throwing stones on the <laughs> on the windows and holding my passport <laughs> until some Austrians took me into the embassy to make her visa. You know? But you could get into the country <coughs> quite easily, or was yeah, that the also Austrian could get into Romania, but the Romanians couldn't get into Austria. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, interesting. The passport was uh, not very valuable at that time, and uh, through all these visa issues, we decided six months later we just get married. Nothing to lose. No, I married I've only for love. That's what oh. you say. It was for the visa, you know. <laughs> 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 that's right. <laughs> uh, that's I guess that proves it. Twenty-six years <laughs> yeah, later, that's a deep water. I have to be very careful when I <laughs> mention we married for the visa. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might take it back. Yeah. yeah. So and and at this point, this is around 1994. Um, 95 we married. Yes. 1995, and uh, yeah. you met back up, and then how, how did the decision come together to um, head out to Japan and to get into the jewelry side of things there? Well, that came later, basically. We stayed like a year together in Austria, where I was working, and uh, Bella really couldn't find her... Mojo? Uh, Mojo in Austria. <coughs> so... And I was traveling a lot before already, every year, like two, three times for two months, three months. So at that time, we saved up some money and we said, okay, let's go for a longer travel. Mm -hmm. And let's try Japan, you know. So th there was no real plan to, to move to Japan or anything. The only plan was to go for a long travel to Japan. Just for a, a trip. This yeah, was the only like intention. We had four or five months basically mm -hmm. planned to do a trip. And we didn't know really or didn't plan anything. And uh, what were you? What was your job before that? You were a train engineer, yeah. I was an engine driver. You call it in English. I and was driving trains. Yeah. Driving trains. Yeah. Okay. And how was that experience? I don't want to say. It really, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was exciting in the beginning, but then it becomes boring very fast. You know. Mm. Routine. So it's a routine job. I did it for like almost ten years. And it became very, very boring. And I just did it because it was a great uh, thing to save time and money because the company let you go for two months. And then you come back, you work for a few months, and you save the time up to go traveling again. You know, That was an amazing thing, basically. You know? Yeah, and did, did you have intention after that, that planned trip to go to Japan, did you have an intention to go back to that to your train uh, I did not have the job. intention but it was always open you know mm. because growing up in Austria you grow up with kind of a safety thinking like all your parents tell you that's a safe job it's a safe job don't let it go you know yeah so I saved time and some money and I had four or five months <coughs> holiday mm -hmm. and I could always go back if it didn't work out you know and you were on board with this this trip to Japan. You're able to get out of work. You're f this free spirit. Let's go and see what happens. I remember, I've been in Japan before him. Before oh. him, so I kind of did my brainwashing there, <laughs> saying we gotta go back. We gotta go back. It's amazing. And 
At some point, he gave me and he said, yes, let's go. What were you doing in Japan before making a trip back? I was a cabaret dancer. Mm. All right. (laughs) Which which city was that in? Tokyo. In Tokyo? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And and so you decided you, you were there for a couple of years or what were you doing? No, 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 no. I had a three months contract, which after I, I would have to renew the contract. So basically go back to Romania, but I chose to go back to Thailand to travel. Then I met him. Then I decided I don't want to go anymore with the previous company, the Romanian company. And being married and all that, it kind of also opened up a lot of opportunities because we could just do something together and new and fun. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, jewelry. Just so so my, my understanding was you guys were selling uh, jewelry on, the let's say, the streets of Japan for marketing purposes. Yeah. Came a bit by accident. How, yeah, how did yeah. that all come, come about? Because her sister was uh, together with uh, a boyfriend at that time was uh, selling in the street. And so that's how it came that we also start selling in the street through these connections. You know? We started together with basically my sister's boyfriend. That's how it came about. But then we ended up being the only non-Israelis, which was also moving sands. <laughs> so was this like an Israeli district in Tokyo that was selling jewelry? No, it street? was like at that time it was a normal thing. Like there were Israelis basically doing the street business in Japan. Yeah. And all the travelers, the backpackers came there for two months, three months, make some money and continue the backpacking, the travels. Okay. So it was a normal thing in the ni- 80s, in the 90s. Uh, how did you, how did it's they get their hands on, on the jewelry itself to be able to sell it? The jewelry you buy from Thailand, from Mexico, from wherever, you know, and then you set up a store in the street and you pay the right people so that they leave you alone, you know. Are, are you buying the jewelry before you make the travel or you're, you're buying and ordering it to Japan and then distributing it? Mm, no, at that time when we arrived, we was basically selling the things they gave us to sell, you know. Oh, okay. And then you slowly get uh, into it, it okay. you bring your own things and, you know. Also in the beginning, you're just a seller, you're not the owner of a street store. Yeah. So it takes a while until you get the trust and you get the place and it's a bit of politics. And, and build uh, the courage to go yeah. against them. <laughs> it's a bit of politics with uh, Yakuza involved. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, how, how would that work? Because just like, let's say, the street vendors at Surin Beach or in Thailand, I mean, you can't just open a street car up on the beach. You've got to talk to the right people. So how, how did that work? But that's the same thing in Japan. You talk same. to the right people. Okay. <laughs> and from there, you, you're giving them a kickback or you're just you're paying a, a weekly rent. And whether you sell or don't sell, it doesn't matter. In Fuck the, you, pay me type I of mean, thing. If you're the yeah. seller, if you're the seller, you have a share of, a, of percentage with the owner of the street store. Yeah. Like it's usually 60, 40, you know. They give you the stuff. You get 40%, uh, owner of the shop gets the 60, you know, and they pay after the people to let you stay in this spot, you know. So at that point in time, this is kind of a way for travelers going to Japan to make a little cash, you know, so that they could survive and continue to travel and... Exactly. And they would have that kind of plan for a couple of months and then go elsewhere. Uh, they stay sellers, they sell for two months and then they leave again, you know. Yeah. But because of the connection of her sister, we became the owners of the stores, you know. Okay. So we started to have one of our own shops and uh, 
and another one, and then I started to bring some unique items. Like the laser a, pointer? Which was like a big hit at that time. The laser know? pointer. Mm. Yeah, so there even was... Uh, outside of jewelry, other... other yeah. things. So <coughs> on one of the, my trips, I found these small laser pointers. You know, the, yeah, yeah. the green laser thing? Yeah, yeah. And I was the first person to bring this to Japan and I was selling it on the street and it was just flying off. And it was the most fun item we ever made. Or we ever sold, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I used to play with that a lot when uh, I was a kid. And all laser pointers. So that was so new. (laughs) It was so new at the time for the people to just buy one. Mm. And we were selling like crazy in the street. Where where were you getting the laser pointers from? Taiwan. They're coming from Taiwan. Yeah. And you would import them into Japan, bring them to your store. Yeah, I was flying to Taiwan, fill up my suitcases, come back, you know. Ah, okay. And then it took two, three days. I was selling all of them and fly back to Taiwan, bring them back again, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Until we started to really ship them into Japan. And and then everything started very fast. And then I started to supply all the street shops with the lasers, you know. So Instead of having my own street shop, I became the wholesaler to the street shop. You know? mm. We had just and great ideas. It was the time before the internet, yeah. so people couldn't find it so easy. You know? So it took quite a long time where I, I was the only one having it. You know? And what was that process? To be able to go to Taiwan and find the products, Like, I mean, without the internet, how would you okay. even do that? I was just lucky. Just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, was in, I was in Bangkok on one trip. Yeah. To buy jewelry, and I found on one of these street shops, uh, I found this laser pointer. So I bought one of these laser pointer, and uh, by chance, the address was on the box. You know, ah, that is like a hologram lucky. sticker. So sometimes you have to be lucky as well, you know. Yeah, and then you just <laughs> show up at the factory's address. Yeah, so I yeah. flew to, to Taiwan, and I found the address, and uh, that's how it started. Yeah, because at that time in '94. Taiwan was still manufacturing, let's say, these trinkets until yeah. it moved to China. Yeah, it still yeah. was mm-hmm. happening yes. there. But there was no internet. You couldn't order online. No. You couldn't find it. You could do nothing. Because it took really almost a year until other people found it as well, you know? Yep. And this is another story, how they found it. <laughs> but you, you, you have this, this address. You're planning to go to Taiwan. Are you calling the factory before, or are you just oh, like, here's nothing. the address, I'm just going to show up at the door? Nothing. I just went there to the factory and showed up at the door. You know? Easy then. Yeah, they were like, are you serious? You know, Because I didn't have a lot of money, so I bought like 100 laser pointers. It was like a You're buying their samples at this point, basically. It was like a joke for them, you yeah. know, but uh, yeah. I they were quite nice. Convinced them, they sold me, I came back, I bought 200, come back, buy 500, like, you know. Mm. So it grew like a pyramid. Yeah, it sounds like that. <laughs> but it's kind it, of jumping head first. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Sounds like the uh, movie. Yeah. Blow, in between, blow. you always have the fun with the Japanese custom, Japanese immigration and stuff like this. Are you, is it a bit of a risk at that point to be able to get through? Yes, of course, because you're a tourist. You know? Yeah. Did you ever have a suitcase seized where you uh, lost the no, goods? We always oh, lucky. all the time. <laughs> and I guess that the the package it's it's quite small. Yeah, it so. was very yeah. small. Yeah, so it fit in a rucksack. You come like a backpacker, and uh, no problem. Yeah. Huh? Even if they close your your stall in the street, um, they confiscate your stuff. You went to the station, and you go Menasai, They believed you. Yeah. The honor there, it's just something else. They really believed that you're not going to open tomorrow because you said Gomenasai, I will not do it again, mm-hmm. and. Of course you did it again, because, you know, that was a flaw in the law. So th- was this is the 
uh, Japanese police would just come and shut down. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. it was not very common, but sometimes I, they would. I guess that the people you pay also had connections with the police, yeah. so the police kind of yeah, leave you alone. You alone yeah. But sometimes they have to make a show, so they close you, they take your stuff. And yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's similar it's like to here, basically. Similar to here, similar. I mean, the same in China. These these electronic markets where the cops will just come in with uh, these sticks and just start knocking stalls down over. Yes, yes. And maybe somebody didn't pay the yeah, right but person. Yeah, they would <laughs> actually return you the stuff once you said gumanasai, and they would never charge you anything. They would never give you a fine. They would never ask for money. They you never had to sign anything. They wouldn't deport you even. I have to say, oh. I started yeah. to. I had this story maybe twice or three times with the police. Yeah. And it was really, really an amazing experience because there are like 20 police guys and you have to apologize to each of them. You apologize in Japanese. And I started, and when I was thinking I go back tomorrow to open again, I started to really feel bad mm. because I mm. apologized and there was so much honor involved in this whole thing that I started to really feel bad, you know. And that's when I stopped selling myself on the street. So we became wholesalers and then I yeah. tried to sell to shops and not anymore to the street shops, you know. To, to like real, real Japanese shops, sh yeah, shops exactly, and acting know? as yeah. the wholesaler. To get away from this because I really yeah. started to feel actually, yeah. I started to feel bad, you know. Yeah, and was there any danger there where they could deport you or did you see yes, foreigners getting deported? Yes, Foreigners got deported, but mostly because you're on a tourist visa yeah. and you're not allowed to work. Just put this up, I think, a little bit. So it's better, mostly yeah. immigration deport you. you know? yeah. It's not because you do something really illegal or criminal. It's more like because you're working without a visa. You know. Mm. And wh what was it like in uh, the early 90s in Japan compared to, and I'm assuming you guys have probably been back in the past maybe 10, 15 years. How, what was it like then and how has it changed? Oh Back time, it was the bubble time of Japan. Yeah. It was booming like crazy. And the Japanese were, the whole street, street selling business worked because Japanese wanted to talk to foreigners. This was the whole catch, you know. Mm. It wasn't that they couldn't get this ring or whatever it was, that they couldn't get it in the shop. They could get it as well, but for them, it was the kick of talking to a foreigner. So everybody, you sell something... They were like talking to you and then you went out with them. You started to know them and it was really, really fun, you know. They really took interest in your culture, in your... It was just... Everything. A, really. It was the connection where the Japanese could get talked to foreigners, yeah. kind of. To yeah, they can practice their English. Yeah, just to know yeah. them because Japan was very kind of isolated somehow, you know. Yeah. And especially all the... Japanese living in the countryside, they came to Tokyo for a weekend and then meeting the foreigners for them was like an amazing thing. You know? they pr probably the, a lot of them, it was the first time meeting them as well. <coughs> so that was the whole story around it, why this worked. You know? And they love to buy something that has a meaning, anything with a meaning. And buying from a foreigner, that's already a meaning. Mm -hmm. Plus, maybe you have something that they couldn't get anywhere else or not that easy and comes with a story i talked to this guy gene and very interesting where he come from his culture and all that it, it's just adding more and more flavor to that whatever ring or necklace he buy yeah you weren't even really selling rings it you was were selling experiences it was the oh, time before the internet also yeah. so it was not so easy for them to just watch something or whatever you know yeah 
the very very beginning you know and and this area in it was in tokyo yeah. which area was it and it, does this still exist yeah yeah of course you know my first yeah the first shop we had was in shinjuku mm -hmm. yeah. and then we had shops in shibuya harajuku that was where the young japanese kind of went out and you know very very fun Rupongi, ginza yeah you know. And has it changed much? Like, um, again, I'm assuming you've been back since that time. I mean, the area did not change much. It's still, Harajuku is still where the young people are going. And it went a lot upmarket. Like the street we remember this called Cat Street, which was all the funky new designers, but without money in the very beginning, you know. Mm -hmm. Today there is Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and stuff like this in the same street where 25 years we were selling on the street. You know? So mm -hmm. this went really, really up, you know. I think it's less less funky. It was much more fun before, much more down to earth, much more. Yeah. Today don't you know. don't see street shops anymore there. If you see, then you see street shops. A lot of commercial power. Yeah, with fake bags or something yeah. like that, more mm. like really illegal stuff. You know, we were not selling illegal stuff. You know. And what was the cost of living like back then? Because now everyone knows Tokyo. Ooh. It's very. It's wow. probably the most expensive. Was it expensive then? Yes, at that time it was very expensive. And today the prices are almost the same like 25 years ago. So today I think Tokyo is cheap, you know. Really? Really. Today if I think about Tokyo, yeah. the prices are almost the same like we remember 20, 25 years ago. What was your apartment like in Tokyo when you were uh, living We there? had like uh, maybe 25 square meters. Super cute. Like a, like a hotel. 25 yeah. square meters and we paid about $1,200. Yeah. And that's 1994, so yeah. it's and probably five, yeah. worth They're still the same prices. And we decided oh, okay. to raid the gomi, which is the... The garbage. The garbage. What is that? <laughs> raid. Yeah, we basically found... A lot of nice treasures in the streets of Tokyo, nearby our house. And when you pick it up, you think like, did anybody actually sleep on this? Or did anybody actually use this? Everything looked almost like brand new and super clean. Yes. They would never put something that was absolutely kaput out there. So the gomi in Tokyo was absolute treasure. Gomi is the trash. The what trash. would you find in there? Everything from Anything. a new stereo over clothing over whatever you want. Shoes, you know? bad... Because everybody lives in small spaces, Anything. you know. So yeah. whenever they buy something new, they throw the old stuff out, which is still good, you know. And the electronics at that time was booming, and you know. Our house was a mix. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mix. <laughs> a mix of everything that we found and some things that we bought, and it was just really interesting. And we had a blackjack table in the middle of our small apartment, which served as everything, really. Mm. Really, everything. You just took out so of the trash, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have? Did Very you keep nice. anything from that? Any uh, of these like treasure items that you still have with you now? No, actually, no, not. No, nothing not really. made it. No. We kind of left in hurry. Okay. A bit. Oh, what happened there? <laughs> okay, that, that came later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that came a bit later. So anyway, you to continue the story. So yeah. then we basically sold to real shops, and and then I met my partner at that time. He was a Swiss guy, so I partnered up with him, and uh, he had uh, real shops in a market in Harajuku. And that means that was the time when I went away from the street business, you know. And he had a proper company, had a proper shop, I had proper ideas, so yep. <laughs> we partnered up, and uh, and it was working fantastic, you know. And the products you were selling, 
when did you transition from more, let's say, the trinkets like the laser pointers into the jewelry? No, no the product stayed the same, but we okay. were selling the same products in a proper shop, you know, mm -hmm. in a market shop, basically, but a legal shop where no police could close you or anything. You know? We always sold jewelry. Just on top of the jewelry, most of the time you add things of interest. Yeah, at that time, like we were selling T-shirts and watches from Hong Kong. And and hats the and stuff from Thailand, stuff from Mexico, from everywhere. Anything you know? that was interesting and different, you would think, okay, mm -hmm. if it's not too big, it will go, you know. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so money was flowing in left and right, like it was just crazy. You know? It was a crazy time, you know. Really. So you, you're the distributor wholesaler to these, these retail shops. Um, and how long did you guys stay in Japan before making the next move? I think we were like four about years. two years. No, first we were uh, two years. Two years first, yeah. yeah. And then we were so high on our success that we said, okay, let's go traveling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a pretty stupid when you leave uh, in the best time, you know? Yeah. Because we I were making money. And uh, so we just went quick traveling for like maybe half a year or more. Yeah, a bit more than half a year. And we lost all the connections. And so uh, almost a year we went. Uh, traveling around the world, spend a lot of the money we made, you know, mm -hmm. was a great time. And then yeah, very we kind of went back to Japan and things were changing, you know. And the shop we had at that time in the market, uh, we lost the shop because they were building a building there. And so we lost this shop and we tried other things and it just was not the same anymore like before, you know. It was the end of the bubble time. So people start to become really aware of their spendings and... Things were just shifting. Economically speaking, they were not as keen to buy things. Uh, the reputation of Israelis doing some things that were not right went out. So the street vendors were kind of a bit of renegades mm -hmm. at that point. So I guess everything was kind of changing. Did it change from the foreigners back to the Japanese, or were the foreigners still hanging around? No, it was more changing to... Proper big to businesses, proper big you know? businesses yeah. like all the little guys making money here and there. This kind of mm -hmm. kind of stopped, you know. And it was more like then the big wholesalers survived, and the little ones kind of died out. And the street business kind of changed to more illegal stuff, which we didn't want to do, you know. Yeah, fake watches, fake bags, Purse, and yeah. stuff like that. You know, so mm. we didn't want to do that. So it got really more and more difficult at that time, you know. So then we looked at other things. We did it for another year or two, but the money was not the same like in the beginning, you know. And and before we jump ahead, before we jump ahead onto the, the, your next step, um, could you explain a little bit more? What do you mean by the Japanese bubble? Economical bubble. E they were just they were booming in terms of the, the entire economy on yeah. itself, and yeah. in ter in, uh, in terms of manufacturing was moving into Japan. I mean, this was probably happening after the sixties. This was eighties. Eighties, uh, yes. Eighties, nineties. It was. Nineties yeah. was already going down, but the eighties were the big. The bubble banks time. were suffering though, because the Japanese would buy all the expensive art and all the you know mm -hmm. expensive jewelry, and they didn't know how to keep the money. They did not understand yeah. it. They were Maybe making a lot, but they were also more. blowing a lot. <laughs> they were blowing it all. Yeah, so. And did you see the currency, uh, the value of the currency, did it change quite drastically between what the time you were there and after this bubble? Yes, it changed, but not a lot. ATN, no, no, to, ATN to the dollar in the beginning, and then was the second time around was 120 to yeah, the dollar. So it did actually. change. We lost half the money, that our savings. Yeah. 
nearly half of what we saved the first time around, and then we realized uh, things are not not good here. What anymore. they seem. <laughs> oh, but we were young, and it was so and easy. We also didn't know. You know easy made, easy go. You know, easy come, easy go. You know? Yeah, and you you had that experience as well, and you had the experience from going selling on the street to becoming the distributor. So with that experience, you're planning to make make your next move. What oh, was we did not have at that time. We were not thinking like this, you know. Mm. It just everything just came by chance and by kind of happened. It just really. kind of happened. There were no plans, no business plan, no nothing, zero, you know. Mm. So Japan kind of was not as good anymore. So we looked for other things, and then we said, okay, let's go traveling again, you know. No, I think we were considering Mexico and Thailand. So we were debating, yeah. should we go to Mexico? We loved Mexico, Mexican-style jewelry, silver. Yep. I thought, okay, with our input there, we could do really a killer. But do I want to live <coughs> in Mexico? And I then mean, Thailand. The idea, the idea was like when we lived in Japan, we w I went a lot to Mexico to buy jewelry. I went to Thailand to buy jewelry. Yeah. And all the suppliers we had, I always gave my ideas. And the next time I came back, they were selling my ideas to everybody. Mm -hmm. So the idea was like, actually, what they do, I can do it much better, you know. Because I had the idea, you know, but they had the manufacturing, you know. Yeah. So we were saying, okay, let's go somewhere, either Mexico, let's make our own jewelry, Mexico or Thailand. And then we were traveling in Mexico, and when I saw the security and the guys with the guns in front of all the shops and then we said, okay, now we go to and Thailand. And we got robbed <laughs> about 10 times yeah, on one trip, <laughs> so we realized that mm, it's a bit maybe too not sketchy. Such a good yeah, <laughs> we loved the craftsmanship in Mexico. We loved the jewelry, but we the didn't like the culture and everything. Is this Mexico City or where? No, it no, is. No, no, no. Uh, Tasco. Tasco is the Silver City. Silver City. Okay. Mm. But it's all over Mexico. It's just, it's not safe, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great craftsmanship, great people. We love them, but. It's just not safe, you know. Yeah, and Thailand and Asia was, it's much more easy, much more safe. safe and yeah. yeah, that was the reason why we decided for so Thailand. So you made the decision to come to Thailand, you land in Bangkok, I'm assuming. Um, what was next? What was the first step to, to get Khao this San business? Khao San Road. Khao San Road, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and back to selling jewelry on the street now in Khao San. Yeah, no, not in on the, the street. street. In no. Thailand, you can, as a no. foreigner, you don't sell jewelry on the street in Thailand. Yeah. Start with little yeah. shop, three by three or six by three? Yeah, we came to... Six by three, I Basically, think. we came to Kaosan, where all the backpackers, and uh, yeah, we started to put our own ideas and uh, let some stuff made, and then we got our first little shop, and you know. And then basically, I opened our first company, you know. Because here, you just cannot do it like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. the ties aren't going to let you kind of go past no, you them. cannot, you know. Okay, and at this point, you're just you're selling jewelry that you're still you're, you're sourcing from around the world, mostly Mexico. Oh, in the very beginning, I was bringing stuff from Mexico to Thailand and from Thailand to Mexico. Okay, but then we started to make things in Thailand, basically. You know, we started to make our ideas here in Thailand and try to sell them, which was quite difficult for jewelry because things. Uh, go around very fast, you know. I yep. don't want to say get copied very fast, but <laughs> they come very around very fast, you know. So you're buying from current manufacturers in Thailand. Yeah, you and then give them an idea, you let it make, you know. So you have something unique, yep. but uh, in no time, everybody has the same stuff. So it's yep. not unique anymore. So I was nonstop looking how to do this, how to find something. And then the piercing came along, you know. 
this is a, another product idea to add to the portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And which year did you come to Thailand to start this business? 98. Okay. 99. 99. So 99. You, there's, a, there's a little bit of, you're in Japan in 94, 95. And you do that for a couple of years. So there was a year traveling, which brings you up to. Another 90. year back in Japan. Yeah. And then basically yeah. we came. Okay. And let's connect from selling in Kosan on your own, on, at your, your own retail shop to owning your own manufacturing facility. It was facility. not the retail, it was a wholesale. Your own wholesale shop in, on Kaosan. So how did you make the leap from that point to owning your own manufacturing facility in Bangkok? Uh, this goes just step by step, very step slowly, step. you know. We had our own first uh, wholesale shop in uh, Kaosan. And uh, piercing basically I sourced and brought from Korea to Thailand. Okay. Because there was no manufacturing of piercing in Thailand. There was only manufacturing of jewelry, like silver and gold. But there was no piercing manufacturing in Thailand yet at that time. Okay. So then basically we brought the things from Korea to Bangkok to wholesale because Khao San and Bangkok was the center for all the market sellers and the, all the little boutiques from all around the world. They come to buy in Khao San. Mm -hmm. So that's how we slowly got the piercings into these shops, and uh, yeah, and then just slowly, slowly we started to make our own things. You know, at that time, Bella left to Italy. Okay. Study fashion. Okay. How long did you go for? One year before I became really frustrated and came back to help. Okay. Mister. You decided his new venture with the, the uh, body piercing. The fashion industry wasn't your thing, or you just. Your no, was it, it more was an issue more with like Italy? my whole experience in Italy was not what I expected or not what I wanted from because I was already 25 and I was I I don't know it was just a whole bunch of things and um, I loved it and then I hated it in the same time it was this love and hate relationship and then I thought I wanted to do my own thing I always wanted to do my own thing and then he said well there's nothing really beautiful for the girls you know, in body jewelry. Why don't you come and make a collection here for mm -hmm. Belly, for example? And I thought it was a brilliant idea, and we did, and it was a hit. So you came back and you started your own designs for body yeah. piercing? Because yes. piercing in the 90s, when it started, it was just punk style, you know? It was balls and spikes and simple yeah, punk. punk style, yeah. but there yeah. was no fashion in piercing at that time, you know? Nothing so cute, nothing striking for girls nothing nothing wow. elegant nothing elegant so it was a amazing opportunity for us actually you know? we came into a new product niche which didn't exist you know so even we made something like very unprofessionally it was still new and unique you know now when you say made you're getting this stuff from uh, south korea you're bringing it in but that was the basics the, the, ba the when did you actually start manufacturing your own jewelry very beginning, in, opened the company in 99, and at the same time, we started to make little things. We took the stuff from I from made the Korea. stuff by hand, actually. Everything. Yeah. How, could you explain that yeah. process? Because I'm sure most people would have no idea how that works. Taking, I mean, are you taking raw silver and turning it into jewelry? How does that work? No, actually, my first line was uh, some kind of uh, attachment that you, um, it's for belly, so you put a banana through, so you have to imagine a smaller ball at the top, a bigger ball at the bottom, with or without stone. And then this attachment is made of wire work. 
beads, beadwork, beadwork with wire. So you could, it was actually very wearable. Mm-hmm. It would move with your body. So it was like I used Japanese seed beads and I used um, Crystal Swarovski. Mm-hmm. And the result was fantastic. I would make butterflies and flowers and you know, I don't know, all sorts of things. And it just took off. And you know, at that time, you have to imagine, we didn't have machinery. That's or what I mean. No. Or not even right. the, did not. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have machinery. I didn't have people. I had nothing, you know. So we needed to find things you can do easy with your hand, you know. Well, we were crafty. Mm. So that's what we were. We just she made it this beadwork, and then we hire a few people. We teach them how to do it, and that's how it came. And then maybe I started to buy one little machine and another little thing to help it, and so it grows like step by step. Do you remember the first machine that you bought? Yes. Yeah. What was that? That was a Dremel Fordom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is this translation? Translation, please. Yeah. Uh, that's just a hand drill, basically. Drill, yeah. A hand drill. A hand drill. So. At that time, it was the UV-sensitive piercing popular. The ones when you go to the club and in the fluorescent light, they're glowing like blue, green. and So that was popular at that time. And then what I did is I bought this hand drill and, uh, yeah, I basically drill a hole into this ball, into this plastic ball, which I bought. Yeah. I drill a hole inside and I glue a Swarovski stone inside, you know. I glue a crystal into the ball and suddenly I had a ball with a stone, you know. And it was blah, blah, blah. And then you had like maybe 10 different uh, plastic UV colors and uh, the crystals have maybe 40 colors and you have different sizes and suddenly I had 500 different items, you know, which I could produce on order and deliver within a few days, you know. In if my you shop. Got, you know? If you had like an order of, let's say, 500 pieces of, of, one, of one skew... Uh, one piece, let's say. Um, you had the labor to help turn turn that around in a few days. I mean, that was it, was, it started very slow, you know. Okay. It was a uh, in the beginning we had our whole shop where people came in. They said like, okay, five here, five here, ten there, five here. So I hired a few boys and I bought a few of these uh, hand drill machines, and we were drilling them, you know. In, mm-hmm. And my first order, I remember I started to buy this drill because I had an order for thousands of these balls with stones. So I was sitting all night long and drilling these holes and gluing the stones by myself. And I produced thousands of these balls mm-hmm. within one night, you know. And then I hired some boys around. I teach them how to do. And I made my catalog suddenly with uh, 500 different items just out of these balls and stones. Just different colors, different shapes, different yeah. sizes. And and the people working were they Thai? Were were you yes, ever bringing yeah. on uh, backpackers as well, or was no, it strictly no, no, Thai? No, 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 just Thais. Just because Thais. you needed the cheap labor, you know. That's yeah. how it worked. You know, mm. that's how Asia works. You know. Yeah, and then um, I'll, I'll kind of digress a little bit. So you're you're at, you're at Kaosan Road still at this point. Were you interacting with the tourists and the backpackers, or were you guys too focused on the business? No, but the backpackers in Kaosan mixed with the business people, you know, because. At that time, like people who make a market back in Europe in summer, they go traveling in winter, and while they travel, while they backpack, they also buy stuff, whatever they see around here, in Thailand, in India, or wherever they go, you know. Mm. So it kind of the backpackers are also the buyers for the. Remember how he gave me that bangle in the plane? Yeah. Basically, it's the same idea. He bought some jewelry from his travels, he brings home. 
He goes and sell it back home, and many people were doing it that at that time. Or started in the hippie times, yeah, you know, in the, the seventies, you know, where yeah. people go backpacking and then they see interesting stuff, they bring it back home and sell it back home, you know. Bring a suit, there was no internet, full of stuff, yeah. there was yeah. no China to order one piece from yeah. Europe or from America, or wherever, you know. So you could bring back interesting stuff which you could sell to the people who did not travel, you know. Mm. So and then. This became into the market stalls in Europe, festivals, sellers, markets. And when they went traveling, they bought stuff, you know, and we were just a supplier for this kind of people. You know? And what, what was the, the next major leap in, in the business where you, where you went from even handcrafting and besides the smaller machines to large-scale manufacturing? When did that happen? No, it didn't happen in one go. No. Know? It just happened over the years. It's one little step, one little step, another one, another one. It just so you grew just over 20 years, you know. How many different uh, buildings were you operating out of as you moved? Like moving to a bigger one and a larger one and a larger yeah, one? Yeah, we had our first office was like 10 minutes from Kaosan away. Like I had one of these townhouses, like these typical Thai townhouses in Bangkok. I rented for 12,000 baht. Yep. And it took maybe a year or two. We had six of them, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> beside each other and uh, yeah and then we took a bigger place just around the corner and like yeah, it just went step by step you know and throughout this you're just learning in the process especially yeah. in the equipment and the machinery and yeah. and uh, just learn one by one you buy a little you want to do something an item you have an idea and then you just learn how to do this item you know? mm -hmm. Was a bit more complicated because you couldn't look it up on YouTube, you know. Yeah, you had to figure <laughs> it out. At, so at you had to. I was sitting sometimes days of figuring out what I say today is like really, you know, simple things. Uh, where you know? did you get your knowledge? Were you attending trade shows? No, like you ask around other people. You try. You like you know. There was no internet to learn. No. I mean, there was in. It was the beginning of internet, but it was not as easy as today to learn stuff you know mm -hmm. but you talk around you ask people you, you try things you try things you figure Curiosity it out on the way builds up and excitement. then when you usually when you buy a little machinery then the supplier of the machine also teach you how to use it how to do this how to do that what is maybe the more technical machine in your, in your facility at the moment that, that, yeah that at the moment that probably the average person even let's say it's starting off at, at your like at a very early early stage in let's say jewelry manufacturing that would just blow their minds they probably wouldn't even understand at all is there anything very technical you mean at the moment at the moment yes of course yes. there's a lot of technical yeah. stuff now yeah. <laughs> but so today i have people that we hire we employ engineers we employ mm -hmm. employ specialists and uh, you know and the pvd coating so machine is probably the most complicated or high tech what we have at the moment is a pvd, PVD coating, coating machine, machine yeah. it's called physical vapor deposition mm -hmm. It's a big yeah. chamber and uh, it's kind of a sputtering and it's a bit too much for now. But <laughs> Yeah, before we go into too much detail on that, does that give you a competitive advantage over your competitors in this industry yes, in Thailand? They in are, Thailand, right? no, there is one or two other companies who have the same, but yeah, usually, yes. It gives you guys are operating at uh, yeah. the... But the I think speed. our strength is there was... A, is the many different uh, technologies we have, you know. So not one technology by itself is not really unique, but uh, because we have so many different things that makes us unique, you know. 
and you've went from selling to let's say the backpackers in Thailand that were coming through Khao San Road. Now, who are you selling to? Who are your primary clients? Yeah, the backpackers are kind of uh, this finished. It's the market sellers actually. The market yeah. sellers yeah. in Khao San. This finished maybe let's say ten years Quite ago. A long time ago. Yeah. yeah. yeah when the yeah. internet took over and people could source their things. And they could not keep and, up. Uh, you know? They were simple people. They could not keep up. Yeah, and then Things also the, the the demand for quality got higher and higher. So yeah. these little shops in Kaohsiung just couldn't keep up anymore. And then the market sellers, this kind of went down a bit. And today, most of the piercing is selling in proper studios, in nice shops, and not mm -hmm. really in the market Jury anymore. Jewelry stores. You know? So are you selling mostly to wholesalers in Europe or retailers in Europe? We sell to all of them. All of them. So mostly to wholesalers and also retailers, uh, basically worldwide, not only Europe. Okay. And are there, is China producing as well jewelry? I know there's some place, Yiwu maybe. Yiwu. Yiwu, right. Yes. And in terms of your quality comparing to China, what, what is the difference on the manufacturing side, maybe in machinery and process? What differentiates you guys? The difference is that... Uh, we don't care about the cost price. Okay. I want to make, because body jewelry, what we understood on the early stage was that body jewelry is not like fashion jewelry, you know. When you wear a, a fashion ring or a necklace, the price is the most important thing because people buy it, they have fun for a few days, they throw it in the corner and it's gone. But body jewelry, because it's in the body, people don't take it off so easy, so the quality needs to be much better. And mm -hmm. this is what the Chinese did not understand. Or even until today, they don't understand. You know. On the factory side, what are those specific details that can differentiate the, the quality that almost any buyer would have no idea that this is why this product is better? I mean, I can explain that on some electronic stuff that I've, I've done. It's quite technical. But on your, on, in your industry, what are those differences? Uh, it's... Yeah, you basically add value you know like you make an extra step of polishing the things by hand and not polish it only machine or you just make a better qc process you make a better quality assurance process mm -hmm. you you can use nicer stones you can yep. get the cost up to endless basically you know yep. and you need to make a compromise between good quality and reasonable price you know but the Chinese factory will mostly don't make this compromise. They will just go for the cheap price. Where, where do they cut corners Who? to save costs? The Chinese. The Chinese. Where Every, can everywhere? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think mostly you know, polishing and stone. Polishing. Yeah, it's yeah. you can cut corners everywhere. Basically. Yeah, you can yeah. cut. Yeah, pretty mm. much everywhere, including you know having a perfect system on how you sell or how you tackle the whole. Think or just a just a stone in a jewelry can be from a precious stone who costs hundreds of dollars down to a plastic imitation who costs on the less than one cent. Quality of the stone yeah. in gem, like this so one you guys gave me. What what is this here? Yeah, I what type of stone is wood beads? No? no, 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 no. Matte mat onyx. Matte onyx. Yeah, yeah, Bella gave me. You did this, yeah. right? Matte onyx set with. Um, <laughs> Cubic zirconia. And then what is this 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 quality here? Because I had another one I bought on the Zara. I don't know. Oh, that's it fell steel. apart in like a day. 
Which one, though? Uh, the one from Lazada. I don't <laughs> know what it was. But this that's that's with steel beads as well in between. This so the steel one, this the color. You mean the wire. Oh, the wire, yeah. If I stretch that, would it snap at a certain point? Mm. Is there a tension? Humidity is not the best friend of this kind of material. Yeah. So, of course, in but time, it will it will give in. But, but even there, there are different yeah. qualities on this one as well. Yes, but it won't last forever because the yeah. humidity here, it's, it's yeah, integrating yeah. that kind of material. It's like my surfboard leash over here because yeah. I left it up here a few days and I went out surfing and it, I, I nothing, a little wave and it just snapped because yeah. of the humidity. Yeah, humidity. Yeah, it just destroyed it. Yeah. A bit of an enemy. But every product, you can make it from cheap to very expensive. Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand your industry, your market and do the right thing. Don't be greedy in the wrong place, you know. Mm. And, and that worked for us very well, you know. I remember, w like, when I was a kid, uh, it was very uh, famous where people would use uh, body-piercing jewelry on their ears, and then their ear would go green. Or you wear a ring, and your finger go gre goes green. Why, why does that happen? That's brass. It's brass. So this is what's... Yeah. So they're selling it as, I don't know, silver... Especially in Mexico, this happens a lot when people yeah, go on vacation. Alpaca. Costume alpaca. jewelry. Alpaca. Yeah. Or alpaca, yeah. yeah. So but brass does that too. In material, it's the same. You have many different materials, and yeah. every material alloys, yeah. has different reactions to people, or, but it doesn't mean everybody gets a bad reaction. Mm -hmm. but at maybe 20, 30 years ago, nickel was normal in jewelry, but today, nickel is a no go in jewelry, you know? But uh, for jewelry, it's very yeah, regulated, for jewelry, even today. for watches or for things, or because many people have nickel allergies, you know. Okay, yeah. I particularly have a silver allergy, silver allergy, yeah, silver yeah, allergy. Silver. You don't have a silver allergy, no, you don't have a silver there allergy. There is no silver allergy, you have, you have an allergy against something that's mixed with the silver, really. The yeah. It's the nickel release on your skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the some cheap silver. <laughs> like it gets red. <laughs> yeah, that's the nickel in the silver they mix inside. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So whatever it's we part do of today, the alloy because silver yeah. is only ninety two point five, mm -hmm. and the rest it's it's, yeah. it's an Probably alloy. It's a mix. Yeah. So it's and nickel yeah. makes it very easy to manufacture. So yeah. before the there was cheaper. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. every there was everywhere nickel inside because it's easier to manufacture. You know. Mm -hmm. And today you have to work with materials that are nickel-free, which is much more difficult. You know? mm -hmm. And I th we'll we'll get into that on the Arabella side. We'll start talking about those nickel-free products because you said you had a new one you've been working on. Before we do that, um, I wanted to pull up your manufacturing website, um, and maybe we can just discuss just a couple products on there. What are you proud of? What are what are your favorite pieces? And a little bit of details behind that as well. And also so people can, we'll give you a quick plug so they can find you. If <laughs> we've got any big, uh, uh, you know, big uh, tycoons out there looking to do business in Thailand. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you want to bring on any more business. It sounds like you got a lot on your plate, but <laughs> let's see. Um, what's the, uh, the factory website? The factory website is uh, steelandsilver.com. Steel and silver. You a and A-N-D? Yeah, A-N-D. Just like you say it. Steel, steel and silver dot Yes, it started from the One beginning second. when we still made silver. So we made steel and we made silver. Stainless steel, probably. Yeah. yeah. My Wi-Fi. Today we don't make silver anymore and we almost don't make steel anymore, you know. So <laughs> why why is that? Because materials are changing and over the time, you know, so the choice of Evolution. name. Can you say it again? Steel S T E E L A N D. Who's that? Pretty lady silver. on the screen. 
Silver. Silver. Yes. Yeah. All right. Here we That's go. Us. Yep. So we'll, we'll okay. We pulled that up. See? Um, Cobalt, chromium, nickel, free. Yeah. Let's take a look at a right couple up. couple things and then. What was that? Which one? Did you get that in your ear? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. got that. Oh, we heard something. For, I think from the website. Zapped. Uh, is there any uh, thing in particular you'd want to show us on here? This one? Uh, cobalt, chromium, nickel free. No, I mean, these it's are like banner. banners. And it's when you banners. click on these banners, you will come to all these products you see on the banners. It's basically for the ordering. This website is mostly like a, a website for our customers to, to order. Wow, Some that's loud. Something on the website. That's that you can click there if you want. No, you see. You can ju no, don't yeah. click there because you just see the items. What you can probably no. do is there's probably volume on your computer that you can turn off. Okay. Turn that volume off and we won't get zapped again. But you could go in uh, About Us on the... Go on the menu on top. That's a little quieter. On the right side, About Us. Okay. Yeah, here. And then you could go to... Go to try about us. Our company. I don't yeah. even know what's there. <laughs> 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 so yeah, you see some picture. Okay. Some oh, okay. So team working. Uh, yeah. That was our mm -hmm. last party. Usually we have, uh, before the COVID, we had every year our big uh, end of the year party. And Actually, we have 22 years this year. Yeah. And how, how many oh, people? Oh, we had yesterday, we had uh, our 22nd. Our 22nd anniversary. 22nd. And how many people are at the are working at the factory? At the moment, there are five hundred. Five hundred. So you see different production mm. stuff. Yeah. Okay, it's uh, yeah. We we will try to come visit at some point. Very interesting. Um, I don't think we can say the c word though. We'll call it the current situation. The current situation. Otherwise, I think uh, YouTube uh, shadow bans you. Oh, really? I think I so. I cannot say COVID? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's done. This video, we have to cut that out. <laughs> I think the video, they just, yeah. like, destroy. Okay. Uh, so this website's mostly for your current clients, retailers, wholesalers. Yes, that's mostly on. for ordering uh, products from us. How many products do you guys have now? Uh, at the website, in our catalog, are about uh, 4,500 4, uh, products, products, not SKUs. Products. Products we call the master product, and then this one splits up into sizes and colors. Yeah. So and then each size, each color, it's their own SKU, which so we have about a hundred thousand. Yeah. So at least ten to twenty per, yeah, per product. Depends yeah. on the yeah. product, but we have about hundred thousand active SKUs. Oh my. About two hundred in total, two hundred thousand, but active about hundred thousand SKUs. I think oh. I need some time off. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a lot. And and. Every single one of those products, are they designed and developed by you guys or were there, were, are there any other influences that kind of yes, helped out? Of course, there's a lot of influence from all around, from the industry, from trends, from Of course, yeah. trends, demands. Some things is our ideas, some things we take from somewhere, change it. I think it it's also th it's the obvious evolution of things in the business. Yeah. You know? What's trending like now in the body piercing industry? The ear. The everything ear. on the ear. It's everything about the ear. Yeah. And what about for the jewelry, like the, the type of jewelry? Gold. 
Real gold. gold and it gets finer and more and more refined, more yeah. and more uh, petite, um, beautiful. It's becoming really like amazing fine jewelry. Fine jewelry, yeah. yeah. How, do, how do these trends begin? Does it start with a celebrity? Where do they take off? I mean, or uh, how do they snowball? Celebrities can bring a certain location. For example, when three, four years or a few years back, Rihanna was four, wearing a septum, yeah. a septum ring, then yeah. the septum suddenly became popular. But the whole evolution of what kind of jewelry we're selling is, I think it's a cycle of this industry. Because the industry is now maybe 30 years old. So it starts with, with normal things, cheaper stuff. Then it's coming the Chinese, sorry, it's coming the cheap wave. <laughs> Don't <laughs> worry, I, th I think he, YouTube doesn't care it's about that. Right. <laughs> it's okay. That's C words a lot. So it's uh, basically once this market, this industry gets a bit more popular, some cheap manufacturers go in and flood the market worldwide, which we also took a took a dive at that time and mm -hmm. uh, it got more difficult but then the ones who make the better quality have the better ideas they're surviving and doing better than ever you know so i think it's the normal cycle of products you know or of an industry is it hard to foresee these trends in advance and do you see anything that could be coming more popular in the next uh, couple of years i mean for an outsider is for sure difficult for us it's pretty easy now because we are inside you know mm -hmm. We are kind of, I don't know if we are on top, but we are somewhere near the top. You guys are the dictators now. Uh, we <laughs> I don't know. It, there is also no market research about yeah. the piercing industry, so we don't know what's our market shares, where we yeah. are on top. Yeah. But we feel like we are kind of between the people on top, let's say, between the companies on top. Yeah. So we can feel it, you know. When there is a movement in the industry, I feel it, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like in my blood, you know. You can see you can see it happening yeah. well in advance. I cannot say what's happening in five years, but uh, I see the trend where it's going, you know, mm -hmm. which I don't tell you. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> see, save those secrets. <laughs> no, but it becomes a feeling. If, when we, we, if we had some this, different you know? coffee, I think I'd get you to tell us. <laughs> it's a sixth sense now. Yeah, yeah. it's... It's not Maybe something you sense. learn or you, yeah. it's no. just a feeling you get after 20 years working with a product, you know, mm -hmm. it's normal. You for sure know also where the mushroom go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, that. No, it's, it's, okay. a, it's a basic product. You know, Cardi B just had a couple of dermal anchors, couple of dermal anchors, couple of months ago. What is that? It's like built right it's into the skin. Yeah. And that gained popularity over the last couple of yeah. months, for so example. So the celebrity, they make certain items popular but they yeah. don't give a direction to the whole industry no, no, no. you know no, do you think they, they're being influenced something. by manufacturers or people designers uh, behind the scene uh i think it's starting in the piercing now but not really yeah not really like because i'm assuming that's probably what happens in the fashion industry because in our industry there are not there are no big players like this who really can do that you know who are the, the, the bigger players in your industry as the retailer? Like Swarovski? No, Swarovski is not selling body piercing. No? The funny thing is that all the big companies in the fashion industry is not touching the piercing. Do you, do you For whatever reason that is, it might hmm. be the bad image bad piercing image. always had or the difficulties of being different to normal jewelry or the people are not understanding what it is or they're not believing in it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe for companies like Swarovski, Pandora, Thomas Sabo, maybe the piercing niche market is really so small that it doesn't interest them. I don't know. 
And and the, like Cartier, like do they? You could see them getting into the body piercing industry. Uh, in the future, yes, but not yet. You know, no. in the future, everybody will have to get into the body piercing industry. Everybody, because okay. I I, I rem- we were talking about a little bit about that before when we were at your shop. We were uh, we did a video for uh, people of Phuket, um, and y- you were talking a little bit about that as well in terms of. You pretty much you, you have the, the the factory down pat. You have these processes in place where you could essentially, and you kind of get where I'm going with that. If you want to touch on that, as I think you did want to. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I said before. Everybody of the big players will sooner or later have to get into this. You know. Yeah. It's like when you sell jewelry and you sell rings and you sell necklaces, and now suddenly the people want uh, toe rings and anklets. You will sell toe rings and anklets. It's just normal, you know. And the piercings is just another part of the jewelry. Now yes. it's not anklets and rings and necklaces anymore. Now it's also the conjuring on the ear. It's the septum. It's the belly bar. It's the thing. And it just will sooner or later become a part of the jewelry industry. And even companies like Swarovski, Pandora, Cartier, or whoever you want to call it, they will be not able to avoid it anymore, you know. Do you think that the tattoo industry helped move the body piercing industry in the sense that tattoos were always seen, uh, you're a pirate, you're in jail, you're a biker, and now they kind of became fashionable, rebel. That, a, a rebel, but it's no yeah. longer, it's very fashionable tattoos now. So that, ta- may, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just guessing that the tattoo industry might have helped to push the acceptability of the body piercing industry. I think it always went parallel. You know, like the tattoo and piercing shops, it was all kind of one shop together always. Yeah. And it kind of went parallel. And because the tattoo was booming so much over the years now, actually the piercing got neglected from many shops. And our experience is now that our customers who concentrate on the piercing, who basically don't have the tattoo anymore as a focus, they're doing much better. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of now separating from the tattoo and that's what we also do in our shop here we are separating from the tattoo you know yes and your okay so let's jump into that uh arabella's body piercing and jewelry boat avenue phuket uh go there buy i don't know if there's a (laughs) i don't think there's a go get pierced okay yeah go get pierced um you you were explaining that these type types of shops are becoming more popular in, in Europe and are essentially non-existent in Thailand. Um, so how did this idea all come together to create Arabella's? I mean, there are piercing shops in Thailand, of course, but it's... Not at that quality in that level. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, there are piercing shops, but again, they're mostly together with tattoo. So it's tattoo and piercing and they all kind of made their money with the tattoo, so the piercing got ne- neglected. And yeah, neglected, yeah. Yeah, and so nobody really concentrates or focus on the piercings, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we are the first one here, I guess, who make a pure piercing studio without any tattoo, without anything else, that really cares about the quality and the process of making the piercing, you know. From my experience, I think that uh, what you see even in, like, the most posh uh, tattoo and piercing shop in Bangkok. It's in a famous shopping mall. Mm-hmm. 
even they have like really very low quality jewelry and the piercer does not have any basic training. Mm-hmm. It's just enough daredevil to put holes in people's body, but he doesn't really know the way it should be done. So I doesn't think... doesn't have the technique. No, no. And I think it's a form of art that it's not spread enough. Like, it's just not taught anywhere. There are no schools for it here. There is no, there is no proper shops where you can actually buy this at a whatever quality your budget will allow. Does this exist so in the world? These types of piercing schools, let's say. There yeah, exist some, yes. not like. Not, it's not very widely spread, but it uh, exists. Some people are. Doing this on a small scale, but no big scale schools yeah. or anything, you know, nothing supported from a government or anything, you know. And in your body piercer, you've brought in from Germany, Marcus. Yeah. Um, so w- what's a little bit about his background? How did he become an expert in the field? Because he works in this industry for a very, very long time, you know, and he learn and get better and he like it himself, you know. He love it. And it was is that the process from back let I don't want to say back in the day but the old process you know y- your experience was from learning on the job but do you foresee that schools and will begin to open where they're going to train the body piercers before they even get into the field and there'll be some sort of certification process. Uh, I don't see that happen from the governments. But from businesses yes it's getting more and more the the little shops are a bit a uh, problem because they try to keep everything for themselves. They don't want to teach other people their knowledge, mm-hmm. which is understandable, but uh, yeah. we want to have a wider view and help the industry on a bigger scale. So we need to kind of teach other people, teach more and more people to do the job. And, and you're planning to do this at your shop, right? Yes, that's actually the, that was the main reason for opening this yeah. shop. You know. One reason was for Bella to give her the feedback directly with the customer. So to have a playground for the design. And the other reason was to eventually kind of create a school to teach more and more people, you know. My idea was like if people come here for a holiday to Phuket because they love it, they come here anyway. So they could have a little course on jewelry, on piercing, just to get more knowledge on it and stuff, you know. And that's yeah, it's something else to do in Phuket, especially even if it's a rainy day. But a lot of people, they'll come here and they'll do the Thai cooking classes. But this is another option as well. Yeah, because if you're in this business already and you get some more knowledge, you sell better. We sell better also mm-hmm. in the factory, you know. So it's a win-win situation for everybody. You know? When are you guys planning to open up that part of the business? I have no idea. Not yet. It's still <laughs> early. Yes, it's yeah. too early. Yeah. It's very quiet here. Yes, it is. It's because of the current situation. Yes, the current <laughs> situation. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, so, for oh, sorry, the question was for for Arabella's. What when? What was the aha moment when you decided? Okay, this is an this this idea originally arose, and let's run with that and see where that goes. Can you recall the day, the time, or or when that happened? <laughs> I know it, yeah, you know it. I know it. It's a, it's, it's a clean story. It's not X-rated. <laughs> sort of clean story. Okay, okay. You want to tell it? Yeah. Let me tell my perspective and see if it Let's matches see if it yours. matches, yeah. Yeah. So we were okay, walking on the beach with Sam, our dog, and he said he was bored. He's reached pretty much whatever he wanted to reach. And uh, 
there's nowhere to go. And so we we were brainstorming. He was absolutely convinced that something like this will take off. And he started really, really considering the idea of opening a shop, which he might be able to franchise. But first and foremost, to give us the feedback, direct feedback. That was the, the, the intention of the shop. Yeah to get the feedback on the product before you went into mass production and trying to sell it to the, you, the main You client. have to imagine, like for someone in my position, like I design the stuff, we sell it to our customers, which are, you know, shops, wholesalers, but they don't really give me the feedback, yeah. me. So I'm often wondering, is it, I mean, we can go by statistic and say, okay, this item is selling, so maybe more items in this direction or not. However, I do not have direct feedback. I would like to see this myself in a year curation on somebody, which I can maybe dictate how it's going to go, or mm-hmm. I have my own vision how this year should look like and whatnot. Everybody will have a different idea of what to do with that one item. Every piercer, every yeah. shop, every... So having feedback, it's, it's huge for me. So the, so the one part was that the, the feedback, feedback uh, access, immediate access, like your playground. Yes. And the other side was the concept of opening up a school. Opening up a school. Yeah, school yeah. is also, again, only a part of this whole concept. Yeah. Because our business is like we design, we manufacture, we wholesale, we sell to the shops. So what's missing is the last part. The last part of the piercing studio, basically. Not even the retail shop to sell the piercing, but to make the piercing. Our industry is a niche market industry, which is growing. And the demand is growing faster than uh, studios can supply. So that means the problem in our industry to get bigger is uh, there are not enough studios out there, not enough good piercers out there, not enough people with knowledge. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what I want. But the demand have. is growing quicker than the supply. The demand is there from the people. The problem is that they don't find proper shops, proper studios where they can get good stuff. Mm-hmm. But the people, the end customer doesn't know that even. You know, yeah. imagine you in a city somewhere in the world and you wanna, you see these piercings online and they all look gorgeous and you want to go somewhere and then you come to some tattoo and piercing shop and he give you some cheap uh, piercing and you have an infection after two weeks. Yeah. That means that was it for you for the piercing. You will take it out and you will not make another piercing. You will not tell your friends how awesome it is. That means your industry got hurt big time there already. But if you have a good studio and this person gets a nice piercing and she's happy and it heals good and she will tell her friends and the friends tell to the friends. So it's, yeah. automatically growing, you know. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem in, in our industry is there's not enough studios out there, you know. Yeah. And maybe you heard of a year curation even in Vogue and most magazines have taken off to write about year curation. And you go to the studio and in your mind you have this year curation uh, with all this gorgeous stuff and that's not going to happen if you go to just a random studio. It might studio. happen. It might, it happen. might happen. But you have to be lucky to live yeah. near a place where they have a good yeah. studio, yeah. You know? but they're just but not enough out it there. It can be that it's not going to happen as well. Don't you think that there should be a protocol or certification to certified your, your let's say, your piercing facility yes. with, let's call it ABC certification? There should be. There, there are, should be, yeah. There are yeah, approaches absolutely. to it. There is like stuff about hygiene, 
which also applies to, for example, in Europe, they mostly check your studio the same they would check a restaurant mm-hmm. for your hygiene exactly. and stuff and things. Yes, this is okay in the Western world, not in the... Would you ever create that, uh, that part of the business where you create the certification process company like a... Uh, for example, in 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 uh, medicinal mushrooms, we have to get our products certified by the FDA. By, um, no, I, well, because it's not a drug uh, that we don't need. It's it cannot be certified by FDA because it's not a drug. But we have to get our products ISO seventeen zero two one certified. It's a type of protocol. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you have to find certification companies in the U.S. that are this certification. And then those companies, they make a killing. They're just printing money. So, no, in our industry, it's not that far yet. I mean, no. it will eventually one day probably come. I mean, there are approaches to it, especially in America. There is one association that uh, tries to make standards, which is a good thing. But uh, it's also a lot of uh, lobbying going on. Yeah, of course. Which is not uh, very objective and trying to support their own manufacturers, their own things, you know. Yeah. So, and everything that comes of, out of Asia is usually bad. Yeah, that's the, that's, they want to keep the manufacturing in the US, but the reality is the product probably comes yeah. from Asia. But the approach, the approach yeah. of this association is a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it helps everybody. It's just the way they do it, of course, they want to use this, what they make for themselves, of course, you know. Yeah, which is normal. I understand it, you know, but but it's the right way, definitely, you know. And in terms of your, um, let's say, quality control processes in the piercing uh, studio, we can call it. Um, what are you guys doing exactly? Do you want to talk a little bit about why you, in terms of your cleanliness, your QC process, your preparation? What what are you guys doing specifically? You mean in the studio? In the in the studio. Yeah, the studio basically works like a clinic, you know. Yeah, we have to. We follow the same rules, or even better rules than many hospitals and clinics I saw in Thailand. Like for example, we were discussing you are changing your uh, sterilization gloves from touching the the piercing to different material. Maybe talk about that a bit. Yes, so we use for every piercing we use sterilized gloves. So of course, when the piercer puts a sterilized cloth on, he cannot touch anymore a draw or another thing or. And we take care of these things, you know. So every yeah. piece that's used for this piercing is basically sterilized, you know. And Proper sterilized with documentation, with reports, with everything. So if somebody gets pierced and in a year he comes back, we can tell him exactly when it was sterilized, how it was sterilized and everything, you know. Yeah, and especially, well, you are Austrian, but let's say borderline on Germany. Oh. But these, I'm not, I'm not going there. But I mean, we know people from that part of the world... It's uh, stereotypical. Your processes are, are, are quite strict, which is, I, I think that's important for the audience. Maybe only deal with uh, Austrian, I won't say German, only yeah. deal with Austrian uh, people that are involved in the body piercing industry because you know for sure you're not cutting corners. No. Of course, but that's also like on the long run, this is how you win the trust of your customers. You know? Exactly. What we experience here is that Everybody who comes in the shop, they look first and they cannot believe what they see, you know. Mm-hmm. Because they never see something like this, you know. They say it's more professional than any clinic, any hospital they ever see, you know. Yeah, and just like you said, if the the uh, the body, is that is that the terminology, the body piercer, the person performing the body piercing? The yeah. body piercer is yeah. to, 
uh, put on his sterilization gloves and then go open the drawer to get out his equipment, I mean... Yeah, it's a no-go. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, you can. Yeah. You know, since we we basically set up all these processes, I know more about it. You know. Yeah. So whenever I go to a clinic or to the dentist or wherever, I'm watching the people. You know, I watch the nurse what she does, and you know, and it's pretty shocking. I have to tell you. you know? Yeah, I mean, it's even like st let's say street food is an example. How many times do you go out and eat, and the girl serves you, uh, or not the girl or the guy serves you the food, but it, she's also handling your money, and these are these are you know yeah that's on a yeah. yes, but there in piercing we basically. Pierce people where people are bleeding, and uh, yeah, there is a no go, you know. With food, you might have some little food poison or something, but yeah. piercing with is blood is a bit of a different story, you know. What, what types of inf I don't know if we should talk about that, but maybe it's good. What types of like infections or diseases can happen in body piercing? Can you, like, for example, can you, uh, uh a lot of uh, jujitsu, it's, um, it's not really like that. You get the disease from the blood of the person you pierce. It's more like no, yeah, if you like don't that. work clean, the person is more likely to get an infection. You know. Yeah. So the the more sterile you work, the the more likely this will heal without problems. You know. Yeah. And that uh, that equipment you're using for piercing, it's obviously it's used one time and you're you're throwing it out. Um, and the quality I saw in your shop, I mean, it's uh, the quality looked. Uh, it's not cheap. Let's say. You mean the tools? The tools you're using. Yeah, the tools is kind of a standard thing, you know. Other people use the same, you know. Yeah. That's not the thing. It's more about the process, how you do it. You know? mm -hmm. So everything is really sterilized and it's cleaned properly after and it's like re-sterilized for things you use more often, like the tools, the metal tools. Mm -hmm. And other things like uh, you have one-way stuff, you know, like all the needles or the clothes. That's uh, one way you use it, you throw it, you know. And even there, how you throw it, you know also a difference you know mm -hmm. you just throw it in the bin or you throw it properly you know we have own boxes for needles how is it disposed of yeah exactly yeah. okay let, we'll jump back to where we were discussing about the business and the next plans what's the end goal for you guys after because like bella explained you're walking <laughs> you're walking on the beach with sam you you're you're uh, i don't want to say bored in your current job but you know no no, no, no i'm no. not bored you at all. no no you no we weren't bored. i'm not bored you but know? There's a process in place and maybe you're looking for something else. It was just that basically I reached all the goals I always yes. had. So Correct. I reached the goals and then it's kind of, okay, what are the next goals? What are the next goals? So, but what is the end goal of uh, this, I don't want to call it, the, the not an Arabella project, but this business, what is the end goal of that for you, for both of you guys? You want to start? Does it align? Let's yeah. we start. We need that yeah. game. What's it called? Where you guys both okay. write on a piece of paper and flip <laughs> it. Just <laughs> and finish each other's sentences. Uh, you can say eight or ten or something. You know? uh, that's what I'm just trying to figure out. You know? okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, I don't know. Okay. Know? I have no idea, you know. I think just the next goals and the next things we are doing are just, it's getting bigger and bigger. And my feeling is it's just getting too big for us. Mm. because the niche is getting really bigger and the industry is getting bigger and we have an amazing factory with amazing people and so what would be next now we open our own shop and what could be the next the next could be a, a school maybe franchising the shop maybe having 100 shops maybe having a chain but it's just too much for us you know 
And if, if a, a, lar- a company such as Cart- Cartier came to you and said, hey, I've... You just spoke his mind. That would, that would <laughs> depend on the person or the company that yeah. comes and the intention they have. Okay. But if a big company comes and would like and believe in the industry, believe in the niche, I'm very open to anything, you know. Okay. Well, time but if somebody comes that does not understand the industry and don't believe in it, I also don't have to, you know. Like yeah. I don't need it. You, know? you want to make sure they're also aligned with, with your, your, your beliefs, your, your, yeah. your I'm very attached stuff. to the industry, yeah. you know. I love my job. I love the, what we do, you know. And Me too. Yeah. Not ready to let go anytime and soon. Not ready to leave. In the best yeah. case scenario, I would like still to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes. to some extent, at least. Yeah, I would like to be still involved. I mean, we have a knowledge of products which you cannot get anywhere these mm-hmm. days. You cannot hire somebody with this knowledge. So, of course, we would still like to be involved, you know. But uh, and if that that is at the, uh, the the body piercing shop and franchising and involved in the schools, that's a little bit more hands on, and you can stay local in Phuket from that. I don't need to stay local. I hope oh. we can travel again okay. soon, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's... <laughs> we love to travel, you know. <laughs> My God, yeah, who knows. You know, we Current love situation. to travel, you know. Like, and I like to stay involved. I love to work. I'm not, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're getting older. Base. We're getting older and the business is just getting too big. And it's like the everyday business is uh, lots of pressure, mm-hmm. you know. And I also believe that there is much more potential, which we can never do until... No way. The sky is... And it's... Do you, do you feel that this industry, even though it's been around for 30, 30, 40 years, is it just kind of getting started now? Do you feel it's really about to take off to something much larger? Yes, I think so. I think the potential is there to take off. But like I said before, it's... You don't have the studios. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the people. Yeah. So they need to... Somebody need to come in with the right resources to believe in it and then this can explode, you know. Mm-hmm. Because the new generations are growing up, you know. Why is it booming now, the piercing? Because the new generation is growing up, is getting older. They can decide now by themselves they want the piercing. They don't have to ask the parents anymore. They have some money and the next generation is coming, you know. In the next few years, there's one generation after another yeah. coming and and it's going to eat from the jewelry industry, you know, mm-hmm. definitely, you know. It's not the industry that grows by itself, but the jewelry industry is huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, piercing is just a very small niche of this jewelry industry. And, we'll, and it will grow into in the jewelry industry. It will take bigger and bigger percentage, you know. So let, that's a good segue for, I think, jumping more into the actual product and what you guys do at Arabella. So maybe we let's pull up the Arabella website and uh, you guys can kind of direct us from there. We can look at a few different products. You can explain them a little bit more in detail, especially for um, you're talking about your new nickel free products and how they're revolutionary, revolutionary and going to change the market. Um, so let, let's look at a couple of those. Yeah. Arabella.com. It's, a R O B E L. You will not see here much from the. Go back better to the other website. Go back? Okay. So if you go up now, you see this banner here. That's our basically our new material. Okay. Which is a cobalt chrome alloy that is nickel free. It's used in the dental industry, in the 
surgery for hip joints and many things. And we are the only company in the in the body piercing industry who manufacture this material. It took us a few years to basically find out how to do it on a commercial scale. Does that open? Are we able to go to a piece? Is there maybe a Yeah, you can click on the like banner if you find the banner. Not, not, not this, this banner. One, not this go one. back. Go back to yeah the error. Yes. Yeah, back. Go back to the first back. banner. Back. Back. Back one more. And now, now you yes, click now on you this click, one. Yeah. Click that banner. Does it click? Okay, here we go. Yeah. This is oh, the, it's no. the wrong banner. That's, what's the wrong banner? Go back again. Oh, what's the wrong banner? <laughs> one this second. One, yeah? This one. Yeah. Yeah. Might be the link wrong. Oops. Let's find out. <laughs> the thing is that the link is not working. Uh, okay. We could probably go to the jewelry piercing or jewelry. You can go on material. On material piercing, yeah. Go on piercing. Piercing. Yeah. Material. Material. Yeah. And cobalt chrome uh, oh, down. Co. 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 Yeah, yeah. Up one. Up, 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 up a little up bit. Up one more. One more. There you yes. Go. Yeah. Okay. Somebody gonna lose that that job. <laughs> <laughs> I can see from here. Hey. <laughs> no, not you. No, I not mean, you. because the, the link was not the working. Link was you know? showing gold. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Click, click that. So hard to see. Yeah, it is not working. The link. No, no it's okay. working. It's loading. I can see. Oh yeah. Okay. Somebody oh, no. else gonna lose the job. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the second person right there. <laughs> Who is this web designer? <laughs> <laughs> it's not working. Oh, Try no. to click again. Click again. <clears throat> it's gonna work. Forbidden. I think it's your internet. Yeah, Cannot it's be my website, yeah. definitely. <laughs> okay, so I think we, we can look at it fr from here. Um, yeah, yeah, it's okay, but you, how you stopped? <laughs> uh, the banner just keeps going. I can stop it. Okay. Nice. Beautiful. There we go. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, what are we looking at here? Beauty. Beauty. I <laughs> know. Oh, I'm. I'm <laughs> That's what I see, I'm sure. Different people see different things. Cocro um, NF. What is the co cobalt, co cobalt chromium? Cobalt chromium. Cobalt chromium. Chromium. Nickel free. Nickel yeah. free. Can yeah. uh, that tongue twister? Can you explain it a little bit? Yeah. yeah describe a, a little bit for us. Now I've put it's a screen. It's a material. It's a alloy from cobalt and chromium and some other things, which uh, the speciality is is nickel free because many people have a nickel allergy. Because usually surgical steel, which is used, has nickel, mm -hmm. <coughs> which is usually okay because uh, it doesn't release a lot of nickel into the body, but it still has nickel. So that's a material, it's used in the medical industry for dental implants, for hip surgery, for all kinds of things, because of the way it's manufactured. You know, Like usually medical industry uses titanium, and this material. Mm -hmm. And it's just different manufactured than titanium. It's a different technology. And we started uh, years ago to develop this to do it on a commercial scale, you know. Because when you talk a hip joint or a dental implant, it's no problem to charge two, three hundred dollars for the implant. Yeah. But when you sell body jewelry, you cannot charge two hundred dollars for a body jewelry. So you need to find a way to manufacture it on a commercial scale that the prices are reasonable and sellable, you know. And that's what we did over the last few years. And we found a way together with suppliers of uh, 
machinery or suppliers of the stuff you need to manufacture. So we developed our own things and uh, today we are able to manufacture this and uh, for reasonable prices, you know. And then who, who's done the design? This is you, Bella? Yeah. Beautiful. Outstanding. Thank you. Actually, the, the, um, the reason why we love it so much, it's, it's because it looks nicer than silver. It's really like white gold, maybe a tiny bit whiter than white gold. And it's sup- you can get it like really mirror shiny uh, surface. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. And it's the very hard. Change. It's like very hard. When you have well. silver or gold, it will, you will realize when you have a ring and you wear it for a long time, it will scratch. Mm-hmm. It will get dialed, it will scratch. This material is so hard, it does not, it does uh, not scratch. scratch you know? yeah. It does not tarnish either. No, no. it do does not tarnish. Do you it need to polish it over time, like once a year or anything? No, you don't. Yeah, if you put your fingers in some dirt, yeah, you need yeah. to clean it. But yeah. the material itself will not tarnish, like silver yeah. tarnishes or gold yeah. also sometimes tarnishes. It. And how does it react if you're in the ocean, salt water? It's no, no problem. No issue. No, no issue at all. And where does that raw material come from? Cobalt, cro- chrome, uh, chromium? Chromium. Yeah, chromium. Yeah. chromium. It comes from uh, special companies who mix these alloys for manufacturing in the medical industry. Okay. And you're the only one in the industry that will be selling this product? In the piercing industry. In the piercing industry. Yes. For now? Interesting. (laughs) For now? I'm sure 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 people working on it already, (laughs) you know? I'm sure we are tailed. (laughs) So when you you get older and you need that hip replacement, you know the product you... Yes, we're just going to put a whole bunch of piercing yeah, right. in the hip. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, I wanted to, uh, maybe let's, should we pull up your um, uh, Arabella Instagram account and we can kind of take a look at some of your pictures. Let's talk about the ear, uh, the cur- curation of the ear and different types of piercing and the locations and, and the terminology behind those as well. Uh, let's... Uh, you can use your mouse and we'll, let's walk through the ear and you can explain the, the definition of each piercing area. Um, the, um, what is the, the time that it takes to, I don't know what's not repair, but to, uh, heal, heal. the time heal, it takes yeah. to heal and, uh, and also give a definition on a scale of one to 10, the pain factor in each different area. And I'll also the type of time. type of jewelry that we could put there. So let's start at the top. That looks like a little snake. Yeah, that's a flat helix. That's a flat helix. Okay. And the healing time? It depends. If you're Bella, you probably need a whole year for that. Yeah. If you're not Bella, you could need between two months and four months, six months at the most for most people, I would say. I heal really, really slow. Okay. Flat helix. And what's that? Yeah. The when you're getting that pierce, what's the uh, on a pa- the pain factor on a scale of one to ten? Ten being uh, giving birth. Oh Jesus! <laughs> um, three, I'd say maximum. It's a three. It's a three. My yeah. God, I, everything on there is a ten for me. So I don't. No, 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 no. No, no. piercing is a. It's yeah. just very short pain. Yeah, it's very short. It's pain. like it's a second of the needle going through, and the pain is gone. You know. Okay. okay. Getting vaccinated, right? Okay. Uh, you can't say that. You've <laughs> we got to cut that out. No, it's not. <laughs> you cannot say the V word either. Yeah. <laughs> the V word. Multiple V words. <laughs> no, uh, cartilage is a bit more painful than the soft yeah. part. You know. I so think getting a double, it's usually painful because 
when they insert the two needles in the same time because they aim to have the angle completely parallel Which to each other. Which one's that called? It's the you can get a double helix, like double flat helix, so you can get a double helix, so you can get a double conch. I would say the double anything, whether it's the conch. That barbell. That yeah. What's that called? The it's a barbell. But there was, you had you a name, a different la name. Labrette. Labrette. Labrette, Labrette it's got a disc in the too. back. So the conch, the conch is this area in. Oh, wasn't it called the industrial? Industrial. Industrial. Is the one it's a labrette, uh, uh, barbell across the the upper part of the ear. It's two ho two holes. Two holes in the same yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. As well. Yeah. Should we ha do we have an example here? Uh, yeah, uh, I think you go do. up. Go up. I show you something else. You yeah. see the ear piercing part. On the this yeah. no, oh, no there. this yes. one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, you maybe can that. See there. So here we can explain it more easy. It's gonna. I think. You, oh, nice. Oh, it even awesome. has prices. Hey, <laughs> all right. Okay, yeah. so let yeah, let's go through that. We have the industrial. We did the flat helix. Uh, so the flat helix, the pain was about a three out of ten. Healing time typically six months. Um, what about the the, in, the industrial uh, pain healing time? I personally didn't have it, but people say it's a bit longer because you're putting a bar. Basically, it's harder to sleep. It's slower to heal. Yeah. I would say at least six months. Six months. Six months to one year for the industrial. The biggest issue on the healing is when you nonstop touch it or when you lay on it or something. Yes. If you be able to change. leave the piercing alone, yeah. it will heal much faster. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, then we have the... Sorry, can I add something? Yeah. Can I add something? Yeah. Um, the problem also with the industrial, uh, the problem, I mean, the, the, the reason also why it would heal slower, it's because it's a 1.6 needle. So the, the barbell, it's a 1.6 version versus the rest of the year, which uses a 1.2 needle. Mm. So it's also a thicker needle, a, a bigger, bigger hole. Yeah. It's more to be careful about and the same with the conch the conch will use where, a 1.6 needle the conch so the conch is the that huggy in the middle of your ear that hugs that bigger part of the cartilage okay and um that looks painful my god that that it's to me the most painful uh, that yeah. was in my experience the most painful so what are we in a scale of 10 on that one for me it was even longer than a year most people would say a year but I mean, pain-wise. Pain-wise, that's eight. Hey, okay, <laughs> oh. that's the conch. So if you're feeling uh, ballsy, yeah, go and get that's that. That's the conch. Yeah. But then my daughter was like, "It's a walk in the park, mom." Like, yeah. you know, I think I mean, it's very individual it's for individual. everybody. Different, yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I. We have people. They have a lope, which usually don't hurt, and they faint in the they shop. They faint in the shop, and so you don't know. You have persons that take more than two years uh, to heal? No. No? no, no. One year? No, no. no one year is uh, when you have certain issues and or you don't leave it alone mm -hmm. or when you're a designer and you change it nonstop and stuff like that. You, know? no, but you cannot wait until it's healed. And, you no, know, it's like not just that, <laughs> but it's also so long it's, it's relatively sensitive means you're not healed. Yeah. So means you cannot sleep on that side. But if you forget and still sleep on that side, the position of the stem will change. Yeah, especially and if you're sleeping and rolling If it changes, it. that means it creates kind of a fresh wound every time. Mm -hmm. So it takes longer. So you really have to be very conscious of how you sleep and mindful of that side where you pierce. 
And most importantly, not to pierce both sides like I did simultaneously ah. because you won't have either side to sleep on and that could be a bit of an issue. That's why we, we have decided to give people a maximum of three piercing per, t- per year and only one year no, at a not time. Not per year, per year. See, my Austrian husband corrects yeah, my English. Hey. And then <laughs> you are able yeah. to sleep on the other side and get yeah. the other side uh, mm. done at a later point when... But you shouldn't be getting both ears done at the same time. You no, shouldn't. I do. No, you shouldn't. shouldn't. Other than I lobe, mean, you can get the earlobe, yes. yes the earlobe is, is okay, the easiest. But everything else, like cartilage, you should not do it simultaneously. Yeah. Nor should you let any peers that tell you otherwise because it's just a nightmare. It was a nightmare yeah. for me. Also, as we think, we make a limit of three piercings at a time because we believe that the body needs time to heal. And when you make too many in one time, it's just... Uh, there is too much heat release and it's very hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, it's yeah. like a wound and the body has to fight it. You know? Yeah, the body yeah. sending these what are white bloods are yeah, to, exactly. to, to, yeah. to same heal. Like you so many you get injured, you know, yeah. it's the same thing. You know? yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Um, who create, not, not for your designer, but how was how this created? Who decided to uh, label each piercing area on your ear? Is there some history behind that, or are you maybe not aware of that? Like, where did this, who, who decided? Was it John or Maria? No, like many, many of these names are just a medical term for this part of the ear, you know? Ah, okay. So like a tragus or like a helix. I think it's the medical part of, the okay. medical name of this part of the ear, you know? And then things develop over the time from, I don't know, from who actually. <laughs> yeah, it could have been John. Somebody could have been. Yeah, some Maria people Tash. invent the name, or they give it a name. Other people take it over. Yeah, and, you know. maybe Bella, you can uh, yeah. coin a name. Yeah. If I find a new location, where, where would where would that pierced? location be that you would coin? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much cover all parts of the year. I think I would yeah. like to grow another year and mm-hmm. give uh, completely new like ideas. Today, pretty difficult to find a new location. Yeah, Wh- and um. What seems to be the most popular piercing or trending piercing uh, spot? Not not just on the ear, but the body. Maybe it is the ear. Where yeah, at the moment, it's all about the ear. And specifically where? What is the, the most popular? Even people coming into your shop, what do they ask for helix. the most? The helix. helix, yeah. the, helix. The, helix. the upper part of the ear. Because earlobes, they mostly have already. Yep. So when everybody is somebody starting, is the first, second, third on the lobe. This is the first thing, but many people have that already. So helix is usually the logic next thing, you know. So every time I'm at the shop and somebody says helix, I'm kind of like, would you like to try a conch perhaps? <laughs> would you like to try a date? Just to change it up. So just to change it up, yeah. I just yeah, want to p- walk them through a different kind of idea or a curated idea without just thinking of, okay, I just came to put one hole in my ear, you yeah. know. Yeah, but it's kind of the logic next thing. It's a logic next, next step, yeah. 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 Um, are you guys doing all types of piercing, uh, nipple piercing, uh, all belly? All the intimate belly, parts, belly, all, yeah. Everything. Yeah, everything. everything. Yeah. Okay. All available, including uh, dermal anchors and all of that. What is a dermal anchor? A single point piercing. Yeah. It's like kind of right yeah. into the yeah. skin or yeah. into the yeah. neck. Yeah. Yes. Something yes. like this. Yeah. Yeah. My God. Is there, is there a lot of pain behind that as well? 
I wouldn't know. We no, don't. You wouldn't do that. Both of us don't have it. Oh, oh. But uh, I know that two of my friends uh, got dermal anchors recently. And I wouldn't think it's too bad pain-wise. And mm. they absolutely love it. It takes two, three weeks to heal. So you can see the beautiful jewel just ah, on okay. the surface of your skin. And like would it's people quite nice. like uh, put the jewel here, like especially for religion purposes. Marcos does, yeah. Uh, for religious purpose? No. Yeah, but every Not every really. place of the for religious purpose, no, no. no. Okay, no. I mean opposite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So okay. no, but every place in the on the body has different anatomy. So some places are possible, some not. You know. Yeah. So whenever there is not much meat, like where you only have skin. And the bone under is uh, very difficult. You know. mm. Another thing is if a customer walks into the store and says, I want date, helix, and conch, or whatever, and like they've been making their homework and they know exactly what to get, what they want to get done, you might tell them no just because based on their anatomy of their ear, it doesn't work. And ah. you say like, okay, I'm sorry, but your date is very small or your yeah. dragus is too tiny for so that. So it won't it. work. So you cannot, so you just come up with different ideas and it might How do the off. customers react to that? Especially uh, if they've come in with the intention of a specific spot on their ear and they realize that. Most of the time they appreciate the feedback. They, they like that somebody tells them differently because I th imagine if you go to a normal piercing shop they'll just do whatever you want to do regardless of yeah. what's possible so i guess i think when they see happy. our shop yeah they know they that they, they're in good hands and then yeah. they believe you they know they're in good hands so i think that's that's mm. okay interesting it should be like that and uh, if children come to your shop what is the youngest age without uh, parental consent you can go back to this you had the uh, age restrictions on this uh, on so the ear. all the kids yeah. in phuket out there bring your parents on the ear piercing yeah it's got to be what uh, no. I, I don't know the age yeah exactly so you can see everywhere flat helix oh. is 15 that's years plus that's what that know? means on there okay yeah. okay and uh, the earlobe for example on down on the right eight. side is yeah. like eight years plus but yes. I, is there a, like Only with an eight-year-old can still not come into your shop and get no. the... No. Until 18, so even 18. the flat helix with 15, yeah. they have to be 15, but even they need uh, basically the consent from the parents. So we do not pierce anybody under 18 without uh, the parents agree to this. You know. And, and uh, a paper signed and by uh, mother, it's not going to cut it. Yeah. Oh. We need at least a <laughs> telephone call from that. the parents or from something, you know. Yeah. No, because we want to get the trust of the parents. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't want some angry parents showing up at your shop. Yeah. Oh exactly. no! Yeah. And yeah. this is usually these regulations are what they do in Europe. You know, yeah. Like in Europe, you really have regulation. You're not allowed to pierce the kids uh, under whatever 16, 15. Every country is a bit different, but there you're really not allowed. It's illegal to do it. You know. Yeah, I think here I it's. Uh, there is no regulations about it, but we take the we regulations sure, yeah. of Europe. Yeah. Oh, that's important. You don't want some an angry parent showing up at the shop yeah. and mm -hmm. the child doing something that they maybe would regret. If you go to the next page, uh, page there, the next yeah. one, yeah. So then you see ah. other kind of piercings as well. So you have the nose is also 15, and then other things might be from 16 up. And uh, 
Mm. So every piercing is done. And then the intim piercing uh, is from 21 up. The which piercing? Intim piercing. Intimate piercing. Intimate. 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 Yeah. So for example, oh, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Intimate. Yeah. Intimate. There we go. You guys are correcting each other. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, finish each other's sentences. Too. Sandwiches. <laughs> Sandwiches. Yeah. What? Yeah, so um. What? One of the myths uh, I remember hearing as a kid that, and I, I don't know if it's true, but we were told when I was in high school, don't get your eyebrow pierced because there's a nerve in your eyebrow, and if the person piercing it doesn't know what they're doing, you will go paralyzed. Is that uh, true? No, you don't get paralyzed, but you will bleed a lot. You will bleed a lot. Yeah. So, so that, that's a complete myth. There's not a nerve in your eyebrow that if you pierce it, you go paralyzed. No, I never heard about it. but yeah. <laughs> we, we heard this in Canada. I don't know. Did you hear this in Brazil? No, we never heard that. That was the first time. Yeah. I think they really? probably just said that's a... Because the eyebrow, the nose ring and the, eye, and the eyebrow were very popular about 15, maybe 20 years ago in Canada. This was like the number one spot. Probably when you got it. Eyebrow and nose ring. And, yeah. uh, and tongue ring. Tongue, yeah. In the Brazil tongue is sensitive like because you have a, like this string in the tongue. So yeah. the piercer really need to know what he's doing, you know? Shit. Have you Brazil done to yes. any tongue piercings since you're open? Uh, no. No, it's no, not, it's tongue not is as popular. I don't think it's as popular oh. as it used to be. Also, the tongue is, a, I think it's a short time pleasure and then you know you have difficulty eating even talking in the beginning and then you chip your teeth and you chip it is tongue piercing i would not recommend it okay no. i mean get it done for two months to have fun with your girlfriend boyfriend hey but then take it out yes okay <laughs> i agree yeah know? but maybe you, you can just get a magnet or something yeah. oh. <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> Okay. Um, is there is before we we plug Arabella's because we're probably getting close to two hours, um, and I'm getting and I I also uh, need a drink. Um, is is there anything else um, that your client should know a, about piercing? Maybe like a, an FAQ, a do's and don'ts, red flags, anything that kind of you would like to mention on on that in uh, when coming in for a piercing. Maybe even prep before. Don't come in drunk. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we recommend not to drink, but I mean, who are we to tell people not to drink, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's not good to get a piercing when you waste it, definitely, yeah. you know? <laughs> but... Uh, Should not be like the tattoos that you get when you're drunk and regret it, you know? Exactly. Otherwise, uh, go to your shop, to your local studio, and talk to them, and you will see if they're professional or not, you know? Have a look what tools they use, if everything is sterilized, and... Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah, I don't know. Have fun with your piercing. Check you know? the Google reviews and be yeah, sure. What's also important is like, don't think you make a piercing and then you can forget about it and after two months it's healed and that's it. You always have to, in the yeah. beginning, take care of your piercing. You have to daily clean it. You need to take care. You should also, also a good indication piercer. of a good piercing studio is somebody that invites you to come back for a checkup after two weeks and yep. basically like in the hospital if they treat you they will tell you come back in two weeks to check you know so the same for your piercing go back to your piercer let him check let him clean let him advise you or maybe change the size you need to change the size of the piercing once the swelling get down or what is the protocol for, for for uh, cleaning your piercing um, you can take cotton buds and uh, you use uh, saline water, which we give to everybody that uh, and doing this in the morning and, and uh, night. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, 
perfect is if you do it twice a day. Morning Any issues with shower? Like cleaning your teeth, you know? No, no issue showering. Yeah, in the beginning, you try to avoid getting the water directly on it. But uh, if you get it, it's also no big deal. You just it's clean it with saline water. Yeah. Washing hairs. But anyway, but you need to keep it dry. Most because like sho shower water can be dirty, right? I mean, it's... Yes. Yeah, in the beginning, yes. when it's new, you should try not to get the water on it. You okay. should try not to also go swim yeah. in the beginning and, you know. Yeah, but if you do, you just clean it after with saline water, cotton pads, you know, and most of it, leave it alone, you know. Don't play with it, okay? Because it's very tempting to play with it, you know. Yeah, mm. yeah, and, so and especially with your hands and the bacteria. Yeah, try not to sleep on it. Try not to, just be careful and take care of it, and then you will have a lot of fun with it, you know. Yes. Mm. And if issues arise, most importantly, it's just like going to see your doctor, go see your piercer, because yeah. he'll have a few tips Except up his sleeve that will save one your peak. piercing and yep. will save yep. you from having pain, infection, um, uh, embedded, embedded piercings into yep. keloids. Uh, one of our scariest uh, thing in the industry is what embedded piercings like the piercing when the grow into the meat basically when people don't take when care you develop it. a keloid it's a bump oh, okay in front and yeah. behind the the, the um, piercing location so the piercing becomes embedded whether it's a barbell or a labrette it doesn't matter it becomes embedded becomes dangerous mm. so infection is woozing there you need to go and let your piercing treat yeah. it the biggest advice my biggest advice is to not go to the doctor yeah, don't go to the doctor. Because doctors, uh, of course, they're doctors. They know their job, but they do not know piercings. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest problem because doctors many times advise the wrong thing. So if you have a problem, if you think something is wrong, go back to your piercer. He will tell you what to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, we've scared everyone silly at the end. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so we'll close out now. Uh where can people find Ara Arabella's? Uh, we'll focus on that. I think for the, the factory stuff, you guys are you're good. We showed that. But where where can they find you? What's your website? Where can they find you on Instagram? And where are you located in Phuket? Um, and even operating hours and, and whatnot. Uh, Arabella is uh, Arabella. Website is uh, Arabella.com. The Instagram is Arabella Jewels. Arabella, Arabella Jewels. And our Don't shop worry. is we'll uh, in Bold Avenue. In uh, Phuket, Boat Avenue. In the Laguna area. In the Laguna area, yes. Yeah. Quite easy to find. We have our crystal tuk-tuk downstairs. So right. You cannot miss it. We're upstairs, yep. just note. Upstairs at Boat Avenue. You have this beautiful crystal tuk-tuk. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably we'll put the picture in picture right here. Yeah. Um, and then they can see the go up. Um also, it's, the Boat Avenue is a great area, especially if you just, you know, go to dinner, get a piercing, go to the night yeah. market. Exactly. So they might, Make it a fun even tonight, even they'll out. find on the Friday night market, they can find you in the night market. Yes, right. every we have a promotion, we have a tuk yeah. there. We see the tuk-tuk there. Exactly. Uh, see Albert And there. even yeah. after you got the piercing, you go to the supermarket to buy something, just pass by quick to yeah. our piercer, have a look, and it doesn't cost you anything for yep. check out. Come say hi. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to watch the full video on YouTube, come visit our channel, Fruiting Body Podcast. We can also be found on Instagram at Fruiting Body Podcast. Please be sure to share and follow this podcast with friends and family. Thank you very much.